Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Ephesians chapter 5, I'll be reading verses 22 down to the end of the chapter. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. We um, have been studying then the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the believers of Ephesus, for um, a couple months now. And we saw back in the beginning that Paul began his letter to the, the believers in Ephesus by reminding them of the phenomenal spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And he went through all of these things. And again, if you remember right, it was all in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. But we are chosen, adopted, accepted, redeemed, pardoned, informed about the, the um, mystery that was to come, promised an inheritance, sealed with the Holy Spirit. And then in chapter 2, he tells us that we were once spiritually dead, but that we were made alive with Christ. And so our, our, our nature, our very nature, we once were children of wrath, but now we are children of God, has been changed. And so there ought to be this change that's noted in us. We, who once were far off from the promises of God, were made joint heirs. So we, then as Gentiles, okay, were brought together with Israel to uh, come to the Father by one spirit in one access. It's not a, a separate thing. And so, though we understand Israel as a physical nation who God will bless once more in the future, the reality is that God was getting ready to do this new thing called the church. And he was going to bring together Israel and Gentiles together through one Messiah, Jesus Christ. And in doing so, he was doing it by making us who were dead now alive. And so, in that then, Paul gives him the challenge going into chapter 4 from the pure doctrinal side to the, to the practical side for us to walk worthy of the calling with which we were then called. That God called us for a purpose. And that was that we on this, while we walk on this earth, we would bear witness by our lives that he is real. And so in Sunday school, we talked about how do we know? And how does the world know? And, and, and if someone would challenge us about the word of God and, and how we can prove that. Do you know what the really the, the greatest, and we talk about fulfilled prophecy and stuff like that, but do you realize what the greatest testimony to the truth of God is? Your changed life. It's your changed life. Again, no one can debate it. You can't really go back to a scripture and, 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 and read about you because you're not there, right? You're living today. But the reality is, if you knew me, again, I go back to this because it's my testimony, right? But if you go back 40 years ago to who Bob was when he was 21, you see a totally different individual than you see when he was 61. Not just the dark hair to the gray hair, but the reality is I was living for myself. I only cared about myself. The only 
thing that I worried about with sin, if, you want even, if I even wanted to call it sin, was how it affected me, not how it affected God. But now it's about how it affects God. Does that make sense? In my relationship with God. And so, so you, walking worthy of the calling with which you are called, you bear witness of the validity of God is who, he's, who he is. And so Paul then goes in, the first thing he talks about is us as a church, us as a body then. If God is taking these Gentiles and joining them with, with Israel to become one new thing, then we ought to look like we're one new thing. We ought to look like we're following the one who is the one, right? There's no division in the Godhead, and that's what Jesus said in John 17, that he wanted us to be one because we would bear witness of who he is. Well, so we're supposed to have this unity, right? We're supposed to walk in unity, desire unity. We're supposed to endeavor to keep the unity, okay? And we're supposed to work together, the synergy of the church. We're supposed to be working together so that we can become growing together into one new man that not just I begin individually looking more and more like Jesus, but that we together, as we come together, start looking more and more like Jesus. That's the whole goal. That's the goal of the assembly. That's the goal of the the body of Christ. I'm not saying that we don't have seeker, you know, that we're, we're not worrying about believers, unbelievers coming in and coming to know Christ, but that's not the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to equip you to go out and to, to, to evangelize the unbelievers, that, and they become believers, and they join the, the church. Does that make sense? So I'm not saying don't bring your unsaved friends in, that's, but the purpose, and, you know, and I, I have to challenge myself in this all the time, because I, it does bother me. That not necessarily that we, we don't necessarily grow or people come in and then we, ch- we train them up and then the military takes them elsewhere. And, you know, so, you know, you, we were talking this week about the waxing and waning of, of our assembly. You know, we grow and then we go back down and we grow and we go back down and we grow and we go back. And it's okay, but it's, I have to continually remind myself numbers is not the marker of whether we are successful. Going back to the marks of a healthy church, right? It's not how big we are. It's not a matter of thousands or or whatever. But are we seeking to do what God has called the church to do? That's the whole point. Okay? And so we want to be one, as he is one. We want to be able to equip the church to to do the work which he's called us to do. But then he got into then how we live in the world. Individually, how we're living in the world. Okay? Now, how we live amongst ourselves, but in the world itself. And so we were told right off the bat that we're supposed to be living a transformed life. No longer are we supposed to be thinking like the Gentiles, but now we're supposed to be thinking like the Messiah. Okay, That's, again, the word repent, right? Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of God has drawn near. Okay, So the, the Greek word there is the word metanoia, change the way you think. It doesn't mean change the way you act. It means change the way you think. Because if you change the way you think, you ultimately change the way you act. And that's going to be important when we get into today's message as well, as we move into this, okay, because so no longer think like the Gentiles. Now you should think like Messiah. You need to put off the old mindset in order to put on the new mindset. And so that goes into living a sanctified life. And so we were told that putting off the old man, putting on the new man, which was created in God in true holiness and righteousness, true righteousness and holiness, okay? And so therefore we ought to be then imitators of God, walking in love, walking in light, walking in wisdom. And in that wisdom, then, we're told as well, we're supposed to be redeeming the time, understanding God's will, and submitting to one another. Does anybody remember how the submitting to one another ends? Hmm. This is part of understanding the will of God and walking in the will of God. We redeem the time. We understand His will. We submit to one another. You've got the Bibles open, hopefully, right? It's in front of you. We, how do we submit to one another? Nope, nope, got, you're guessing. Look at your Bible. Say it again. In the fear of the Lord. In the fear of the Lord, okay? And so we submit to one another in the fear of Christ, in the fear of the Lord, the fear of God. Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. When he's, when he's talking about how, you know, that living in the tent, and, you know, and you, but one day you're going to stand before the, the judgment seat of Christ, not the great white throne, but the judgment seat of Christ, and you're going to be an account. As a believer, you're going to give an account for everything you've done in the flesh, right? Paul then ends that statement by saying, therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord or the fear of God, we what? We persuade men. I'm evangelistic. Why am I evangelistic? Because I'm going to stand before God, and I'm going to give an account for what I've done with my time, 
Does that make sense? So in the body, in the body, we are to be submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Okay? Now, again, we're segmentizing this, so that was a message from two weeks ago, and now we slide into three relationships, okay? But I don't want you to forget this, because this is, this is, Paul's not stopping. He didn't stop here and say, okay, so let me talk about something else now. He's, this is a letter where he's, he's just moving straight on through. So submitting to one another in the fear of God. So think about that, okay? But for us, as we go through this now deductively, okay, not inductively. I've gone through inductively, and now I'm teaching deductively, right? We have three relationships that we actually have. And so when I would have the men's retreats in Canada for all those years, this is one of the primary things that we would talk about a lot. And that is, as men, we have three primary relationships, We have our marital relationships, we have our familial or parental relationships, and we have our occupational relationships, and we are to model Christ in every one of those. That is how the world knows. When you talk about putting off the old man, putting on the new man. Not thinking like the Gentiles anymore, but thinking like the mind of Christ. Where are you going to see it? In your relationships. What relationships? Well, your marriage with your kids, and in your workplace. You're going to look different. You're not going to look like what you used to look. I'm not the guy who stopped the car and cussed my wife out and told her to get her blankety-blank out of the car. She'd beat me up now. I'm not going to do it anymore. No, anyways. I'm not the same guy. That was me. That was Bob. But I have a new nature. I have a new being. Do you get it? And it took a while. But my family, and they might listen. I know some of them listen to these every once in a while. And my brother will give a testimony to this. My sister-in-law will. I was disowned for eight years. There was a part where they wanted to know whether it's really real. Does that make sense? I praise God. My brother, you guys know, it leads mission trips around the world now. Praise the Lord for that in the end, and again, I'm not taking credit, God brings the what? The increase, right? But he uses testimonies, our testimonies, who we are, the change that he's worked to make people realize that it's what? It's real. It's true. If it doesn't change you, why do I want it? I've already got a mess. Why am I going to go waste my Sunday mornings? Why am I going to spend my money to, to someplace? Dude, if I'm not going to look any different than you, <laughs> I must just enjoy my time. Because clearly your God doesn't care. Today we want to go into the, the first one, the marital relationship. As Chuck read through this, small portion, 12 verses, right? Hopefully you saw overwhelmingly throughout it that there is a picture, a word picture. Now, again, again, I'm looking out and I'm saying, okay, this is, I'm teaching the choir, okay? So one of the things I want to encourage you as well is be careful of ho-humming, saying, oh, I heard this before, okay? But allow the word of God to be fresh all the time. The overwhelming importance, the illustrative importance of this passage is this analogy. Don't miss it. I am Jesus. Marcia is the church. We illustrate it to the world. The relationship between Christ and the church. We illustrate what we believe is the relationship that Christ has with the church and what the relationship with Christ, the church to Christ ought to look like. Are we perfect at this? Yes! No! Of course not! I mean, no! However, I get it. This has transformed my marriage. Yes? Am I a little bit better now than I was 40 years ago? Just a little bit? You've got to say yes in front of all these people. <laughs> Anyways. But I promise you, my wife, I think, say yes. Before you know what I'm going to say, say yes. She, I, she tells me this. She's excited that I'm her husband. She's glad that she's married to me. Yes? Yes. Good job. You get lunch today. Anyways, uh, I'm messing. But I am so grateful. Now, I can't tell you that I've always thought this way. 
I am grateful that she is my wife. That of all the women who have ever lived on this earth, that God chose her to be my wife. Do you get it? You've got to change the way you think. You have to change the way you think. You can't think like the Gentiles anymore. You have to think with the mind of Christ. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. I'm not a big C Calvinist at all. I mean, you know I'm not even a little C Calvinist. But I'm more sovereign thinking than a lot of Calvinists are. And I think my God can override a whole lot of things. And before I ever really knew him and my wife ever knew him, he allowed us to come together because he knew in the days ahead. Now, you may struggle with who your spouse is. If you're single, you may be struggling because you don't have a spouse. But God's sovereign over that too. And I got something to say to you at the end if you're single. So don't say, well, you just don't know my marriage. No, I may not. But God does. And you ain't got to know because of your spouse. It is your job to do your job. It's your role to perform your role. A pastor is a pastor before he's a pastor, an elder is an elder before he's an elder, a deacon is a deacon before he's a deacon, a husband, a godly husband is a godly husband before he's a godly husband. Do you get what I'm saying? You have a role to fill. It doesn't matter what the other person's doing. All the way back at the beginning, and we're going to see this as we go in this next statement. All the way back in the beginning, Genesis chapter 2, God established what his plan was and why he made a man and a woman. Not a man and a man. Not a woman and a woman. He made a man and a woman. And he made the woman out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And he said this, and the man looked at her and said, Whoa, man, now this is a bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was brought out of me. Right? Consider the effect on evangelizing others. Again, why would I want what you got if it hasn't changed you? The effect on edifying one another. How can you help anybody else with their marriage if God hasn't worked in your marriage? I remember years ago, I had the privilege of counseling a couple um, that I got from a chaplain on post who called previous church I was at um, and said, hey, would you counsel people outside of your assembly? Of course I would, 100% I would. How much do you charge? Nothing. I don't charge. Freely I receive, freely give. Come on, it's free. So, okay. So these people came. And this is, I was the seventh counselor that they've ever been to. And so, they, they, but they came because the chaplain told them they needed to come. And so they came. And, and I said, have you ever received counseling from the Word of God? Has anybody ever just opened the Bible and give you marital counseling from the Bible? And their answer was, no. Of course, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I said, are you willing to give God two weeks? Are you willing to give God two weeks and see what God can do in two weeks? And if God hasn't done anything in two weeks, go get your divorce. But if God does something and you can know, you know God's doing something, God does something in two weeks, are you willing to stick it out? She got saved, and he rededicated his life in those two weeks. Because God can work. But if God's not working in my marriage, what do I have to give anybody else? Does it make sense? I could say, give God two weeks. Do you know why? Because I've watched God take those two weeks in my life. Because I know what my God can do. I know what he's done in my life. And what he's still doing in my life. So don't ho-hum this. I really think our evangelistic and edificational outreach is greatly um, correlated. Um, what's the word I'm thinking about? Impacted by, yeah, our marriages. That's why God gave them to us. The intimacy of this thing. At the very end of this, Paul says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be cling to his wife and the two shall be one flesh. Now, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. He's going back to what he's declared in Genesis chapter 2, 
when, when he made Adam and then he made Eve and brought her. And so this is a direct statement coming back. It says, Yahweh, God, caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the pl- flesh in its place. Then the rib which Yahweh God had taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. They are naked man and his wife, they were not ashamed. PG-13. So, we don't want to talk about it out loud, but what's being talked about? In that the two became one flesh. They were naked, they were not ashamed. Talking about a marital relationship. Becoming one. It's a phenomenal thing. I mean, it's what it's talking about, okay? Because then he tells them, earlier he told them to be what? Fruitful and multiply. Paul takes this statement and he says, now this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. In that moment when you are most vulnerable, when there is nothing between you and your spouse, you get what I'm talking about. Hopefully you are one spiritually, emotionally or socially, and then you become one physically. It's the time when you are one. That's the picture of Christ in the church. That's how intimate Christ in the church is to be. And yet, it's Jesus who we read in Revelation chapter 3 at the church of Laodicea, knocking at the door, banging at the door, saying what? Let me in. I want in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would open up unto me, I'll come in. And we can have fellowship with one another. But the church doesn't have the fellowship with its head as it's supposed to have. There is a, a break. Why? Because of our selfishness. But Paul goes back to this. So, so get what I'm saying. Your marriage may not be perfect. But you, but you, you, not your spouse, you. So I'm talking to you. You say, oh, he's talking to me. You're right, I am. I'm talking to you right now. Whoever you are, I'm talking to you. I'm going to every one of you. Okay, so when I hear later, he looked right at me. Yeah, I did. Okay, and I'm looking in the mirror, honestly, you get it. I'm looking massively in the mirror, okay? That's what my job is with her. I'm to be Jesus. Not that I'm Jesus, but you get what I'm saying. And if the world doesn't see Jesus in this, as we talk, as we're going to go through this, whose fault is it? Marcia's. No, it's not, it's mine. And if they don't see what the church ought to look like, whose fault is it? Bob's, because he's such a tyrant, tyranny kind of a guy. No! It's hers. I've got a role. She's got a role. But I promise you, every time I do marital counseling, the fingers are not pointing at themselves. But if you've been with me in marital counseling, you'll know. One of the things, first things I'm going to tell you is, you need to acknowledge the fact that you are the problem with the marriage. I'm not saying your spouse isn't a problem with the marriage, but you are the problem with your marriage. You are a sinner. You are selfish. You are stinking selfish and self-centered. It's just a reality. It's okay. You've been saved by God's grace. He's transforming you. But if you're not willing to admit the fact that you've got problems, you'll never be fixed. Somebody with cancer has got to understand they've got cancer and they've got to go for the cure or they're never going to be cured. Are you tracking with me? Okay? You want your marriage fixed? Work on you. Don't try to be the Holy Spirit to your spouse. It never works right. All right. The imperative instruction. First of all, to the wife. I'm sorry, ladies. It's not my choice. God put it first, okay? So, 
So if you're saying, oh, yeah, pick on the women first. No, God did, okay? So I'm just following the word, expository preaching, right? So, so first thing is, wives, what? Submit. Wives, submit to your husbands. But then he gives the standard as what? As to the Lord. So what, what does it mean? How am I supposed to do that? Just like you do it to the Lord. Hupotasso is the word submit. Hupotasso, under the authority, coming under the authority of. So it's a military kind of concept. Not the, the hupokuo where it's um, like you think about in basic training where the, the, you say jump and, and, the, and the troop says what? How high? You know, you know, actually, he doesn't even say how high because he just jumps. Right? <laughs> yep. And so, but that's, not, that's hupokuo under the authority of that. We're gonna, we'll get to that next week when we talk about children obeying their parents and the Lord. This is hupotasso. This is a decision. This is a choice to place yourself under the authority of. You're a big boy. You're a big girl. You can make your own decisions. But you choose willingly to place yourself under the authority of somebody else. Wives, hupotasso, your own husbands. As to the Lord. So when you submit to your husband, it's like you're submitting unto Christ. Now, I'm not saying your husband is Christ. I mean, I understand he's supposed to be looking like Christ. And we'll get to him in a moment. But the reality is, how you submit to him is a statement of how you submit to Christ. And if you rebel against your husband, that means you're rebelling against Christ. So Colossians 3, 18, wives submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Why? Because he is the, the head. Okay? And so we know from 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3 and 10, you can go look this up, okay? We know there is a priority in headship. That, that God is the head of Christ, Christ is the head of man, and man is the head of the woman. There is an authority structure, just as there is militarily, okay? So you have the, the brigade commander, and under the brigade commander, you have the battalion commander. Under the battalion commander, you have the company commander. Under the company commander, you have platoon. Under platoon, you got? Isn't it amazing? We know that. So the squad leader is going to report to the platoon leader. The platoon leader is going to report to the company commander. The company commander is going to report to the? Battalion commander, battalion commander is going to report to the brigade commander. Brigade commander is going to go up to corps. And so we have this structure, right? And if you go outside of that structure, you're going to, be going to count everybody else up going up the structure. So women, whether you like it or not, I didn't teach, I didn't make this up. I'm just teaching the truth. You're under your husband as your head. And when you choose to pull yourself out from under his headship because you think he's an idiot and he doesn't know what he's talking about and it's a foolish decision and everything else, I, I, I get it. I'm, 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 I've never been a woman, but I'm trying to I'm, identify myself as a woman. Anyways, but I get it. I, look, I feel bad for my wife sometimes. I mean, she's got to submit to me. And I've made some bonehead decisions. I own up to him. But even if she thought it was a bad decision and I th didn't listen to her input and I made the decision, I can't turn around and say, well, it's your fault. She had to live with my decision, right? But if she pulls herself out from underneath me and rebels against me, now who's she going to deal with? She's going to deal with God. Because she's not going to deal with my headship. That means that she wants to go straight up to the battalion commander, in a sense, Right? You think a battalion commander is going to turn around and say, oh yeah, I think you guys you need to rebel against that company, company commander. No way, it's not going to happen that way. It doesn't happen that way. Genesis 3.16 To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow in your conception and bring you, and in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, but, I put a but there, and he shall rule over you. Your desire, the word desire there, um, talks about a, a, a craving, desire, okay? Potentially. It's, it's not used very much, but it's also from the perspective of eating something up, consuming it, okay? So it depends on how you play it out. So I thought to myself, but I wonder how the Jewish people understood it. So I went to the Septuagint. And so it is the word apostrophe. You say apostrophe, what's that? You know it as apostrophe apostrophe. 
And so apostrophe. The word apostrophe means to turn away, to turn away. Literally, it's used in the Septuagint, um, coming through the epistrephos and the epistrophes, that turning away from an individual, not just turning away from an event, but turning away from an individual. So kind of put that concept in there, okay? You're going to be like a bucking bronco. He's going to try to guide you, but you're going to what? You're going to want to be in charge. It's just part of the curse. This is part of the curse. This isn't part of the blessing. Does that make sense? So this is the effect of sin. The effect of sin is not that, oh, you're going to love your husband. Oh, you're going to want your husband. That's not what it's saying. See, the exact same phrase is used in Genesis chapter 4. When, it talks about, when God is talking to Cain, and he said that sin is lying at your door, and it desires, to, it desires to consume you. It wants to turn you away. You tracking? So you need to understand, look, who you are, part of the, your old nature physicist, part of the, your children of wrath part, part of the, the thinking like the Gentiles part of you. Okay? wants to turn away from your husband. It wants to steal his authority. It wants to reject the authority. Why? Because that's what we did at, in the garden when we turned away from God's authority. It just plays down. We chose to listen to Satan, or at least women did, nothing personal, but guys obeyed you, right? Okay? And so that's what happened in the garden. That's the part of sin that plays on down then. It's no different, and I'm not picking on a woman. Again, one of the hardest things for a woman is to, to, to submit to a guy who makes bad decisions. But sometimes I can submit to a God who makes bad decisions. Oops, did he say that? You know I don't believe that. But sometimes we what? We think that. We question God. And we want to buck against God. Because God doesn't really know. No, come on, that's stupid. I know it's stupid. But in that moment, when you're in your flesh, that Romans 7, why do I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I do want to do, I find that it's a war within me. In that moment, you ain't thinking right. You're allowing the thinking of the Gentiles to come back over upon you. And you're giving yourself back over to the old man, the old nature. You tracking what I'm saying? So, Philippians 4. Whatever things are, True. Whatever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are big of report. Think on what? These things. This is what you need to think upon, ladies. It's not coming from me. It's coming from God. You, if you really want to glorify God in your marriage, you need to submit. But there's one more thing here. The qualifiers. Oh! There's none. There are no qualifiers. Wives, submit unto your husbands as long as he's loving you like Christ loved the church. It doesn't say that. But how many times do I hear it? All the time. Well, he's not doing his part. Yeah, probably true. And you're probably not doing yours. Again, you're the problem. What? He is too. But that's for him to own up to. You need to own up to your side. When you're starting to, to, to submit to him... Like you're submitting unto Jesus? Maybe your problem is that's the way it is. You really are submitting to him like you are submitting to Jesus. And there's nothing I can do about that one. Maybe you need to change your relationship with Jesus. That's ouch, isn't it? But that's painfully true. And again, I'm not speaking against you all. I'm speaking against myself. Because I'm part of the church. And so just as the things I'm talking to the woman, I'm talking to the church, right? And so how well is my submission to Christ? as part of the church. There are no qualifiers. Secondly, I must have hit my button, right? So the second command is to respect. Well, the word behind respect at the very end, and wives see that she respects her husband, literally is the Greek word phobeo. Phobia. The noun side is phobos. It literally means to fear. Yep, that's what it says. It doesn't say respect. It says fear. In fact, that's why I brought up that we're supposed to submit to one another in the what? Fear of the Lord. And so now it plays right into the wife. It didn't change. 
And so there needs to be an understanding of culture. I get that, okay? But I think we hide behind the culture argument so many times. That, well, we're different today. Yeah, maybe we are. But it doesn't change the Word of God. The culture doesn't change the Word of God. The Word of God should change culture. So there's a reality in the Old Covenant and then the beginning of the New Covenant that a woman, and I don't get what I'm saying. I'm just going to be straight out. Pl- pl- historically, this is how it is. Not necessarily this is what Bob thinks, okay? Because we'll get to the other side in a moment, okay? But there's a part where a woman was chattel. She was property, okay? And that she didn't really have an option if her husband would what? Put her away, okay? So there was a reasonable what? fear of her husband there was a an understanding that he had authority and a power that's why you get the willy wonkers again when the when you see the blue lights behind you not because you're allergic to blue plastic okay but because the blue lights represent the guy who's sitting in the the car and the the guy in the car has no power no authority in and of himself other than what he represents does it make sense so it's the, the the authority and the power that he represents when he comes to your door so the woman was supposed to fear her husband. I, I, there's no way around this one, okay? I'm not going to camp on it, but there is a, a healthy fear. Now, understand, the respect comes from that, okay? And so we can go there. But it's like going to the Old Covenant. People always want to say, oh, it just means to, to respect God. No, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. It's fear. Fear, fear, fear. Terror. That's what it means. Yari means fear. Okay, so, so fear. Well, First John four seventeen to nineteen. This is kind of a transitional thing. Okay, tells us as believers, right, that love has been perfected among us in this that we have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Before I transition, ladies, here's the deal. If you are submitting as to who? As to the Lord. Do you understand? That ultimately you understand you're looking to Jesus. Do you understand? That's who your submission is to. That's who your ultimate fear is to. Right? You're fearing God, therefore you are honoring your husband. Are you tracking with me on this one? Okay. You don't have to fear what? The judgment. That's exactly right. There's no fear in judgment. Rather, there's going to be what? There's going to be great rewards. Because you honored him with that jerk that you're living with. Okay? Now, you get what I'm saying? Paint the guy to be the worst guy you can paint him to be. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That's on your sermon note sheets too. You don't have to go there now. But you can look at it and it says that, a unbelieving, or that a believing wife should remain with her unbelieving husband as long as he's willing to, to stay with her. Because how do you know if you're not going to um, consecrate, you're not going to sanctify your husband and that he may come to know Christ? There's a, there's a spot where you have to realize, women, that ultimately you are serving God. God is sovereign. He's in control. He knows what you're living with, who you're living with, what you're living with. And he, he knows all that situation. And your ultimate obedience is to him, not necessarily to your husband. Are you tracking with me on that one? Again, this goes back to what we were talking about with First Peter and Second Peter. The, that hope, the living hope. Do you, do, what is your hope? Your hope isn't now. If you're living for now, what a waste of time. But my hope is not here, I love my wife, and I praise the Lord for my wife, but I know that the reality is that I'm supposed to be laying up treasures where? In heaven, not on earth. And I'm going to give an account for whether I'm loving her like Christ of the church or not. I want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. I don't know about you. I don't want to get there and say, well, you got in by the skin of your teeth. I don't even know what, the, what he has for those. I know that there's the, the, the outer darkness and the weeping that's going on. And we can debate how all that plays out, okay? But the reality is that there's, there's something plays out with people who, who declare themselves to be believers, but they're not living like believers, okay? So I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to do what I'm supposed to do. Women, my encouragement to you is desire the same. But guys, as we make this transition then, 
we make it a whole lot easier on them if we what? If we love. Because the command to the husband, overwhelmingly, throughout this entire passage, four times, we are told, not multiple things, but one thing. What? Love. 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 Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Do you get it? Just as there was a picture for the women, there's a picture for the guys. So the first thing that we're told is the standard. And the standard is that I'm supposed to love like Christ loved. Well, that same passage here in 1 John 4, right? We read this part. It says, if someone, because now I'm going to read verse 20. It says, if someone says, I love God and hates his wife, I know it's his brother, but you can put wife in there, okay? If someone says, I love God and hates his wife, he is a liar. For he who does not love his wife, whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? You say, what's well, his brother? I know it's his brother, but it can be sister. It means someone who belie- who's, is, is yours in the Lord. The idea is that somebody who's close to you. Okay, so Jesus said, what's the greatest command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's the second like unto it? Love your neighbor as yourself. So I asked people, I said, well, so can you, can you, love, can you, 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 can you love him like a neighbor? No, can't do that. Well, what's the third part that Jesus talked about in, in that same Sermon on the Mount? Those, those came later, but in the Sermon on the Mount, what's the, what's the, um, the um, standard of love that he gives in the Sermon on the Mount? Anybody remember? Matthew chapter 5? Say it again. Love your enemies and what? Pray for those who despitefully use you. Now, can that describe your, your, your spouse? Oh, yeah. Well, what did Jesus say? Love them. Pray for them. You don't have an out. Guys, you don't have an out. I don't care how you visualize that person. You don't have an out. Aren't you glad that Jesus loved you when you were his enemy? I am. I should have been discarded. Put away. Forever. But he loved me. And he gave himself for me. That's how I'm supposed to love Marcia. And I promise you, the counseling that I give to other people, I had to give to myself. Because I wasn't loving her like that. Again, I was, I had the mind of a Gentile. And all of a sudden, here I am saved. You realize that it was two and a half years, am I right on that one? Two and a half years, we went to seminary. I mean, I wasn't saved very long, and we went to seminary. And I come back, and all of a sudden, I'm an assistant pastor, and then I'm a head pastor. And I'm still trying to figure out life out. But I'm supposed to what? I'm supposed to have it all figured out. And I'm supposed to lead by my example. And man, I'm floundering. And I've memorized Ephesians. <laughs> so God's pounding me with it. This is the standard. And it comes back to this every Every single, if you don't mind, stinking time. Because at that moment, when I'm faced with my sin, it's a stinking time. I'd love it for it to be somebody else's fault. I hate it when it's my fault. Do you track with that one? Because when it's my fault, I had a what? I could fess it up. My kids can tell you how many times I've had to go in and fess it up. But I want to love her more like Jesus by the end of next year than I do now. And it's not always fun because love is Christ-like. So what did he do? What's the demonstration of Christ-like love? It's self-sacrificing servant leadership. Self-sacrificing servant leadership. Jesus stated when he was on the earth, he says, um, he called them to himself, and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Your what? That's exactly right, Glenn. Your slave. It's countercultural. It flips it all upside down. As Americans, we think we ought to look out for who? Numero uno. Look out for yourself because nobody else... No. Jesus says, no, you want to be a slave. You put everybody else above yourself. 
Philippians chapter 2. That's the mind of Christ. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Marcia hates when I sacrifice to meet her needs. We get into our greatest battles now. See, back 40 years ago, we'd have gotten greatest battles over our selfishness. We're still getting greatest battles over selfishness. But now the selfishness is in, in, looks like I want to serve you, and she says I want to serve you. And now we get into battles over who's going to serve who, and it still becomes a stinking selfish battle because I want to serve you, and you want to serve... How warped is that? Anyways, and so... That sinful self is so into everything, isn't it? No, I'm serving you! Anyways. But there are times when I want to do something else, guys. There's a lot of times I want to do something else. But I know I need to serve her. And I need to give up. And she feels bad about that, which means I'm making it too aware. I'm letting her know it too much. (laughs) And that's wrong too. Does it make sense? But I want to serve. See, the whole difference. I want to now. I want to please her. I want to love her. I want to glorify God in my service to her. Are you tracking with me on this? It's not because it's fun. I just love giving up my own self-pleasures. No. I'm a sinner just like you are. But I know what God has called me to do. And I wish I could tell you I'm perfect, but I'm not perfect. Of course, I'm not going to ask her to tell you the times that I'm not perfect, okay? But the reality is I blow it. But I want to blow it less and less and less and less and less and less. Are you tracking? Jesus said, if you want to follow him, you need to have servant leadership. The goal of Christ-like love is sanctification. It ought to be my desire to present her as a glorious, sinless perfection before God. That's Jesus' goal for the church. That's why he died for us. I ought to do whatever I can to present Marcia with options, to learn God's word, be cleansed by the word, to be overwhelmed. Look, in doing it, what did Paul say? If I love her in this way, do you know what I'm really doing? I'm loving myself. How selfish is that? Yeah, this is really cool. You want to be selfish? Let's think about this. Guys! You want your wife to really love you like you want her to love you? Guess what? If you love her like Christ loved the church, she can't help but love you back. And she'll want to please you. Oh, go figure this. This is selfish. So I selfishly love my wife like Christ loved the church because I know that if I do that, she's going to love me back and she's going to want to please me. How warped is that? But it's true. But I don't do it for that reason. But God's word is true, right? I mean, if I'm seeking to lay up treasures in heaven, then it's all about me. Track that one too, okay? But the reality is God does promise that if I'm serving him and if I'm loving him, he's going to do what? He's going to reward me. Now, I'm not going to do it just so I get the rewards because that's me. That's all about me. But the reality is God makes a promise. We love him because he first loved us. You want your wife to love you? Love her like Jesus loved the church. Love her like Jesus loved the church. Love her like Jesus loved the church. Then come talk to me. If you can say, if you can honestly look at me and say, yes, I am self-sacrificingly leading my wife. I am putting everything on the line and I'm, I'm saying no to my lust of my flesh. I'm saying no to the lust of my eyes. I'm saying no to the pride of my life. I am totally, everything's on the line. I am serving her 100%. Come talk to me then. We'll talk to your wife. But I got to, I, I, I got probably thinking that you're missing something. And wives, at that, when the point comes where you, that, that guy you're living with is just, he is not loving you like Christ at the church, I'm going to ask you, what? So what's your submission look like? What's your fear of Yahweh look like in this moment? That's what you need to work on. So I'm not trying to cut myself from having to do marital counseling, but, but you need to know that's what's going to happen. The beginning of our, it's not, it's not going to be one week, it's all over. We're probably going to be meeting a week, a year and a half or two years. Okay. Why? Because it's discipleship. It's discipleship. There's no magic pills. It's discipleship. It's growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's becoming more Christ-like. It's taking on the mind of Christ. And that requires 
a lot of shedding of my past. A lot of my thinking like the Gentiles. Changing the way I think. So, are you walking worthy of the calling with which you were called? Does your marriage reflect Christ in the church? Or does it reflect the marriages of the world? What do you, again you, looking at every one of you individually, what do you need to do to better reflect Christ or the church in your marriage? Now, you guys that are single, ladies that are single, what are you doing to prepare yourself for your role within marriage? One of the things I like to tell an individual, and I get it because there is a desire for many singles to want to be married. Some don't, but many do. Okay? Prepare yourself to be, so if I'm talking to a guy, prepare yourself to be the man that you want your daughter to marry. Prepare yourself to be the man that you want your daughter to marry. Most guys get that. You don't, if you got a daughter and you're loving her, you don't want her to marry a trash ball. Stop being the trash ball. Be the guy that you'd want your daughter, that you'd be excited for your daughter to marry. Ladies, be the wife that you'd love to see your husband marry. Or your, your, your son get married to. Yeah. <laughs> ah, Mormonism. Anyways, so, <laughs> that's not where I'm going. Be the wife that you want your son to, to be married to. Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love and your mercy. Lord, you are so good, so kind, so gracious. You know, Lord, our failures. Before we ever knew you, you knew our uckiness, our wickedness, our evil. And yet you loved us anyway. And I don't understand, Lord, this balance between how you work in our hearts and you change our paths and our courses, and yet you give us the freedom, the free will to make decisions. But you do. So, God, I ask, at least on our end of it, that you would help us to walk the right paths, to walk according to your truth to walk according to your wisdom. Lord, that in our our marriages, we would redeem the time. Knowing the days are evil. And that as men, we would love our wives like Christ of the church. We We would redeem the time in finding ways to love them. Not just to love them, but to honor you. To reflect you to this world who needs to see you. And Lord, I ask for the women to to shed as well that worldly thinking that they have, that they've been entrenched with, and that they would seek to honor you with a Christ-like mindset. Not walking in fear, worrying about being harmed, but, Lord, walking in fear toward you and seeking to honor and magnify you. And, Lord, I pray for our marriages as a whole that you would cause them to grow in such a way, again, that you would be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.